You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I have Zach Sapala. He's the founder and CEO of uh, Particle.io. We're going to be talking about uh, solving global challenges using uh, IoT devices, Internet of Things. So, Zach, thanks for coming. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So if you would, uh, let's just start out basically. What's the premise of Particle? So Particle is an IoT platform, which means a lot of different things, two jargon words stuck together. The easiest way to think about what we actually are under the hood is we help companies who make some kind of physical product connect them to the internet. So if you are a widget manufacturer, if you make air conditioners, you make hot tubs, you make scooters, you make uh, dental equipment, um, we are the technology partner that provides the software and the hardware to connect those products to the internet and allow you to collect data from the physical device and to control it remotely. Hmm. Okay. And what's the general attitude out there? Is like everyone in a rush to connect their stuff to the internet and do they know why it would be useful or like what's the, you know, what's the common company think about IoT as of now? You know, I think that where we are in the industry is a lot like, being in 1996 and thinking about the web, which is to say, it sort of feels obvious that this is going to be a big thing, right? And this is important, but the kinds of companies that are in the best position to take advantage of these sort of new technologies are still trying to figure out what, like, why they're doing it and, and why any of this matters, right? So early days of the web, before we'd all really figured out how to transact online, if you were in the business of commerce, there were some folks like Amazon who were going straight into e-commerce and actually trying to have transactions online. But most companies were just taking their physical catalogs and putting them on the web, right? So it's just taking pictures of your product right. and having them on the internet without any ability to transact. I think that's kind of where we are in IoT, where there's a lot of folks who are product manufacturers who are making their first move. And that first move is often, well, I make a widget. Let me connect that widget so that I can control it remotely. Let's, if I make coffee makers, let's make it so that I can turn on the coffee maker from my phone. And that right. is often not really that 
compelling or interesting, right? It's sort of a foot in the door strategy, but like, why do I need to control my coffee maker from my phone? Usually when I want coffee, I'm standing in front of the coffee maker, or at least right. if I pour myself a cup of coffee and I'm not there to pick it up, it doesn't really, it's not a very useful cup of coffee. So there's a lot of, I think, first steps that may not make a ton of sense. Um, but what we do see is a lot of companies just starting to understand where the real opportunities are. A lot of the cases, in a lot of cases, that has to do with um, like service and essentially reducing the cost of maintenance. So I have a machine, that machine breaks with some frequency. Wouldn't it be useful right. if I could monitor it remotely to understand and predict when it's gonna break and then fix it immediately or maybe even before it, it breaks? Um, where now we've we've quickly moved from sort of a gimmicky consumer value proposition to, oh no, this actually solved a real problem here. Um, and I think we're just starting to make that transition. Well, so who has to do this work? Do you have customers that come to you and say, hey, hook up my coffee maker to the internet? Or do you have to go to customers and say, hey, this is why you should hook this thing up to the internet. And these are the mm -hmm. possible solutions I see. Like who has to come with the ideas on, I mean, do companies just want to be hooked up to the web because that's the cool thing to do and we'll figure it out later? Or do they, yeah. do they know specific use cases or do you have to figure that stuff out for them? So it's a little bit of both. I think one of the things that we bring to the table is that we have a really broad set of customers. So there's about 150, 160,000 people out in the world building some kind of product or project with Particle. And so we have this really broad view. So we kind of get to see what's working and what's not working. And we can bring that expertise when we're talking to a customer. And then they bring an understanding of their own their own market and their own industry that we're likely not to have. And so it's when the two are combined that I think we get a lot of new and really compelling ideas um, where we, we find sort of unique, unique solutions to interesting problems. Um, so... And that's also true in terms of how we execute. Sometimes we have customers who use Particle in a completely self-service capacity where they do a lot of the engineering work themselves. And we have customers for whom we build their solution totally soup to nuts. And we do all the hardware design and we do the software setup and kind of make it all work for them. And it depends on what they've got to bring to the table. All right. So what are some examples of use cases that you thought were particularly innovative or cool or useful? So we've had a lot of really interesting use cases that relate to um, real problems that sort of companies, people, cities are experiencing that um, also have a create a positive social impact. Um, so a great example, one of my favorite customers is a company called Opti. Opti makes a stormwater management system for cities around the world. Um, and the, the story is basically that as weather is becoming more extreme, cities generally have stormwater systems that might not be up to the task for increasing quantities of water, right? And so you see this with like big hurricanes and things where um, there is, of course, a stormwater system that's set up to take some amount of water, but then you have a big storm system come through and, and because it, the stormwater system is not set up for it, you get flooding and that means the roads are damaged or destroyed, homes are damaged, uh, and of course, lots of problems associated with that. So in the long term, you can fix this by building more stormwater systems to collect more water. 
but that is capital intensive. It takes time and it's not exactly reactive. Like if you see a hurricane coming your way, you can't just like go, uh, you know, build up your stormwater system uh, in preparation for it. It takes longer than that. So what Opti does is they hook into a city's existing stormwater infrastructure and they connect all the pumps and valves that move water around and they connect them to a system that uses weather forecasting to be able to sort of dynamically move move water. So as the storm is approaching and they start to see where the rainfall is likely to happen, they're moving around the water in advance of the storm. So when the storm hits and there's a reservoir that was hours ago was full and now is getting dumped on with rain. If it weren't for Opti, that, that reservoir might be overflowing and flooding into neighboring homes. But because of their system, the reservoir has emptied itself out to some extent. And so the, it just fills back up instead of, instead of overflowing. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting case where it's a real problem that has dollars behind it, right? From a city's perspective, they'd rather spend a little bit of money preventing these kinds of issues than a lot of money rebuilding roads or, or right. dealing with, with destroyed homes. Um, uh, but it also has this for a really positive social impact as well. We've been seeing more and more of that. So what do you see as uh, the near future of IoT? What's coming and what's, what's it going to look like and then maybe further future? So in the short term, I think the, the, the most successful IoT initiatives are solving the problems that are just sort of economically larger. Um, so for instance, we see we have a bunch of customers doing things in and around HVAC heating, ventilation, air conditioning, because HVAC is one of, if not the number one consumer of energy in the home, right? So it's not surprising that the Nest thermostat was really the first like widespread consumer IoT product because the thermostat plays a really important role in your home in both making you comfortable, but also managing energy costs. So slight improvements of how you use your thermostat can lead to a big energy bill savings. Um, and so we see a lot of things in and around HVAC. Um, we're seeing a lot of things in and around water. Water is interesting because A, it's a scarce resource and it's becoming more scarce over time. Um, you see that in particular in California where uh, you know, the, the watersheds are, are lowering every year. And, and so water consumption is becoming a bigger and bigger deal. Um, uh, but you also see it in, with, in regards to the damage that water can do. Right. So as a, as a homeowner, um, if you have a water leak, whether it's your roof leaking or it's a, um, uh, you know, an appliance leaking like your, your dishwasher or something like that, I mean, you can do incredible amounts of damage. And of course, the person holding the financial bag there is a homeowner's insurance company. Right. Typically, if you have homeowner's insurance and you have a big leak, it's not you that pays the bill. It's, it's the homeowner's insurance company. So there's a strong incentive there for somebody to try and address the sources of leaks so that they can uh, not need to put the bill when the insurance claim comes in. Um, so we see a lot around HVAC, we see a lot around water. Um, and, um, and then we see a lot around what I would probably describe as industrial equipment, but kind of machines that you don't necessarily think about as, uh, um, as sort of important pieces of equipment. So a good example is um, a customer of ours called Ultrac. Ultrac makes a connectivity solution for the wind fans over farms and like in particular over vineyards 
So if you've ever driven around like a wine country, like a Napa or a Sonoma, you'll see these big fans. They're big white fans that are over the vineyard. And they look kind of like wind turbines. And when I saw them at first, yeah. I thought they were wind turbines, right? Like, oh, they're, they're collecting energy from the wind. That makes sense. That's a, that's a thing that people are doing a lot more these days. Um, but they're right. actually fans. Um, and the fans exist to create airflow to try and protect against frost. So when the temperature starts to dip, um, uh, dip below freezing for the first time, you know, getting in like late fall, uh, that if that frost happens too early in the season, then you can lose an entire crop of grapes and grapes are a really valuable crop. So if you, you know, if you lose a, right. a harvest, it can, it's a ton of money lost. Um, so they, they turn on these fans and because of the, the movement of the air causes the frost to, you know, keeps the frost from settling. And so it can, by pushing off the frost a few days, you can end up saving a, a harvest. Now, the problem is these fans are off most of the time because you only really need them when the frost starts to settle. So if you turn on the fan the day that the frost is supposed to settle and the fan's not working because it's been off all summer and you didn't realize that, then you know the fan's not able to do its job. So they have a monitoring solution to prevent these kinds of issues and make sure these, these machines work. And so I sort of broadly classify that as like addressing failure of industrial equipment. But I think when we think about yeah. that, we think about like a factory, right, where you've got a piece of manufacturing equipment. And there are so many examples of these that are these, what seem to, I think, us as sort of consumers and, you know, normal everyday folks as the kind of niches, right? You don't think of that as a big industry, but it is. There's a lot of, there's a lot of farms that have those kinds of, um, those kinds of fans over them. And those, there are a lot of those of kinds of industries and products like that, that are these almost esoteric use cases that you were surprised by when you hear about them. And then as soon as they're described, it's like, oh, that makes a ton of sense. That's yeah, it's a really good right. opportunity. Right. We see a lot of those. Hmm. Okay. So what are, what are some of the uh, challenges for hooking up devices to the, you know, to the internet security, uh, connectivity, bandwidth, what are, what are the challenges you run into? So security is a big one. I mean, um, there have been some widely publicized IoT security failures that I think have appropriately caused companies who are looking at this stuff to really think hard about their security solutions. Um, so for instance, the target data breach, um, you know, very famous a couple of years back uh, that we, we all lost our credit card numbers to this point of sale hack. Um, lesser known in the story, the way that the folks who hacked Target's point of sale system got in was through the HVAC system. Um, so the Target stores had connected HVAC systems um, and they were able to, the hackers were able to socially engineer the folks who worked at that HVAC company to get access to the systems. And then once they had access to the HVAC system, they were on the network in the stores and they were able to use that to jump onto the point of sale system. So okay. IoT, Security holes aren't just security holes in your IoT product, but other technology in and around them. Uh, and so you're, you know, you're seeing more and more of these kind of security flaws. So security is a big issue, and that's a, a part of what we do at Particle is make sure that our customers' devices are secure. Um, reliable connectivity is is uh, definitely tricky. So you see this with like you know cellular and Wi-Fi connectivity are the primary ways that people connect physical products to the internet. Um, and as consumers, we've gotten used to the fact that they that those uh, networking solutions are 
mostly reliable, but sometimes go down, right? So like drop calls, right? Is a, that happens sometimes, you drop a call, it's become less and less common over time. Carriers have gotten better at dealing with it. But if it's a phone call and it drops, you know, you just pick up and you just call again, right? Or right. Wi-Fi networks. I mean, everyone's Wi-Fi network at home, you have those moments where like nothing's loading for five minutes and then it comes back. And maybe it was a DNS issue. Who knows why under the hood it broke down, but because it comes back, you don't worry about it that much. Um, so for these IoT products, they might have a really important message to share while the network's not working, right? No, something's on fire or you have a leak. And if that message gets sent during that 30 seconds where your Wi-Fi network is down and it doesn't get resent, then you might miss the message and that was a really important message. So creating reliable messaging, given the fact that these wireless networks are not themselves 100% reliable um, is really, really important. Um, it's another part of another part of what we do for our customers. Um, and then, you know, right now, it's really becoming increasingly tricky to get stuff that works all around the world kind of the same. Um, different carriers are investing in different cellular carriers are investing in different kinds of technologies um, at different rates. So it's a lot like in, uh, I don't know exactly when this was, maybe like 2007, when the US was in, you know, basically on different kinds of towers than the rest of the world. So we were on CDMA and everybody else is on GSM. And so that was a pain if you lived in the US and you traveled internationally because your phone didn't work. Um, that the IoT world looks a little bit like that right now, um, where if something works in the US, it doesn't necessarily work in Europe or Asia or Africa. Um, and if you're a company who manufactures a product that you sell around the world, that's really tricky to get right. So having products that work the same, you don't wanna know what country this product is being shipped to, you just wanna know that it's gonna work wherever it goes. And delivering on that these days is really hard. Um, so these are a bunch of the different problems that we try and help solve for our customers because at the end of the day, if you're trying to you know, monitor a piece of equipment for failure, all this networking security stuff, you don't really want to be spending your time thinking about it. You want to be focused on solving the problem for your customers, letting them know when the machine failed, building out the software to make that, to make that work for them. Okay, I got you. What, what do you guess is uh, the IoT world is going to look like in the next five or 10 years? Do you think it's going to be an explosion? And you know, what are some of the things you think will be important about it? I do think it'll be an explosion, but I think it'll be explosion in a way that's less visible to us as consumers. You know, I think that the smart home is starting to take off. And from a consumer perspective, we think of IoT in, in the context of our homes, right? So what are the products around me that are connected, that used to, that are smart, that used to be dumb, right? And, and um, the quality of those products has increased a lot over the last couple of years. You know, even in maybe 2015, if you tried to go make your home smart, the, the product availability were, were pretty poor. Whereas now there's smart doorbells, there's smart security systems, there's smart thermostats, there's smart um, you know, light bulbs, and they're all pretty good. And especially with Alexa and Google Home acting as kind of the central interface and the hub, now all of a sudden there's actually reasons for these things to be connected so that you can interact with them from your voice. Um, my favorite product at home is, is I have one of Nest smart doorbells. And mm. as a result, I have my eye on the like the street in front of me. And I can't tell you how many times I've, I caught like a guy who was 
trying to steal something out of my neighbor's trunk, my neighbor's car's trunk, his car was parked on the street. And I watched mm. somebody bump into my rear bumper. My car was parked on the street and I watched somebody bump into it. It's like the, the product has done so much for me already. I've been, I've been over the moon with it. But so from a consumer perspective, I think we're starting to see these products around us get activated and it's starting to make sense with smart home in ways that it didn't used to. But there's so much of the stuff that happens that's invisible to us, right? So um, if I think about like the, the park down the street for me, um, I don't know whether that park is connected or not, right? Um, if it were connected, then maybe they have a more intelligent irrigation system and the grass in the park stays green, consuming less energy. Um, and maybe they have monitoring systems to know when the playgrounds are being used to decide whether, uh, you know, what kind of lighting they should be installing and whether they need to put up lights to, to, to light the playground after, after hours. Um, and maybe they have security systems in place. So if people are in the park when they shouldn't be, um, they can, they can monitor. There's all these things that we wouldn't know about if they were smart, right? Um, that I think are a huge part of what IoT is going to be. I think the world around us will get more connected in a lot of ways that we don't experience. And what we experience, what we experience instead is just the sort of lower friction of those, um, uh, of those things that we interact with every day, right? So if you think about like a, if you're a city, you have trash cans all over your city and you send around garbage trucks to go empty those trash cans on probably something of a weekly basis, right? So uh, sometimes you show up to clean up the garbage can, it's overflowing, and sometimes it's empty. And if it's empty and you go to, clean, you go to empty it out, that's, that's a waste of a truck roll. And if it's full, then you probably should have emptied it out yesterday. Um, once all of those trash cans are connected, then the trash cans are, uh, you know, are never overflowing. And the number of trucks that the city has to have to clean them out would be fewer. And so that means money saved. And, you know, as taxpayers, that means more of the city's money is invested in other things um, to, to help solve other problems. Well, not only, yeah, not only that, I mean, you wouldn't have to, if you see like, you know, the dumpster behind ABC restaurant isn't full and isn't ready yet, you could just skip it on mm -hmm. the route. And yeah. then you'd have a much more efficient route and you could even rejigger the uh, locations. If you see certain ones get full a lot more, maybe you create like two routes and one is serviced more frequently and the other one's only once a month or something. And I see, mm -hmm. see a exactly. tremendous amount more efficiency with that. Right. And that's the kind of thing where if that, if that were true and it's starting to become true that there are now a number of different connected trash can solutions that didn't exist just a few years ago, we as consumers, all we would know is that we stop experiencing overflowing trash cans, right? And you probably wouldn't even notice, but you might go back and think, hey, I remember that there used to be every once in a while, I'd, I'd go to one of these trash cans to throw away my coffee cup and it was, there was no, I couldn't put it in because it was overflowing. And that hasn't happened in a long time, huh? You know, that's, I think, the experience that we will have as consumers, as individual folks, as, you know, normal human beings as the world becomes more connected is just these, these moments of friction out in the world, whether it's, you know, garbage collection or traffic or sewage systems or whatever, like those moments of friction just start to disappear. Gotcha. Okay. Our um, vision statement at Particle is um, we want to help, help people connect the physical world to solve problems before they happen. And I think in 
10 years, what's happened is a lot of those problems have been solved and we just don't experience them anymore. Hmm. Gotcha. Do we have the infrastructure right now to implement, you know, a high level solution like that, or is it still going to be a while? We do. Um, to some extent, it's just more, it's harder and more expensive than it should be. You know, I think that, again, I'll, it's like the early days of the web where in 1996, was it possible for somebody to build a website? Yes, absolutely. But it costs a lot, you know, it costs millions of dollars to create a website. And if you were indexed on Yahoo, then you couldn't handle the traffic and your website would be down. Right. And so it's sort of like, um, it was possible, but hard and expensive. And then over time, the cost of making a website went from $5 million to $500,000 to $50,000 to $5,000. And as a, as a result, the web has grown orders of magnitude. And I think that's yes, true, it was, right? uh, healthcare.gov, which ballooned to like $2 million. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Well, that's, you know, some, sometimes, uh, sometimes it's like we're still in 1996, but, um, you know, but I think that's where we are in IoT. It is absolutely possible to build a lot of these products today, but it is still harder and more expensive than it should be. And mm. through folks like us who are trying to help solve those problems, that will those costs will come down over time. And so as a result, you'll just see more and more of this stuff getting deployed and hopefully solving some real problems. Okay. All right. That works. Well, very cool. Um, any way for uh, folks to get in contact with you to ask about an IoT application for what they're doing? Yeah, so um, our website is www.particle.io. If you're interested in, you know, uh, coming to chat with us, uh, you'll find lots of ways to do that on our website. I am ZS on Twitter, at ZS. So uh, if anybody's interested in chatting with me, that's a good place to do so. And yeah, yeah I'm always, yes. Just those two letters, my, letter V as in volcano, volcano S as in Sam? Uh, Z as in zebra, S as in Sam, my initials. Yes, okay. Got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, always always happy to hear what folks are working on and see how we can help. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Zach, well, thanks for coming, and I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Happy to chat. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40... I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.